0: And Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer. Happy New Year to everybody listening. As the crazy year that is 2020 has finally, thank goodness, come to an end, we're going to be taking this episode to look ahead at what we think the financial services industry has coming for us in 2021. Peering into our crystal balls, I am joined by my brilliant co-hosts. On the show today, we have Sarah Kachansky, who is the Head of Research at 11FS. How's it going, Sarah?
1: It's going well, thank you. Um, Lovely and sunny here today. So it's blooming freezing, but lovely and sunny, which always lifts the
2: mood. Very good,
0: very good. Uh, Mr. Simon Taylor, who is a Head of Ventures here at 11FS. How's it going, Simon?
2: Very well, sir. Yeah, looking forward to like sending off 2020 well and truly with this show um, and some predictions for next year that don't involve, well, let's not talk about that.
0: It just needs to go away, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> and uh, last, but very much no means least, Mr. Sam Moore, managing partner for North America.
3: How's it going, Sam? I am starving. I have been on a fast for five days because we're recording this in Thanksgiving, and I will be so bloated tonight. I'm so excited. I've taken all of my pills in preparation. <laughs> Stretchy pants <laughs> very on. Very excited. G- good to
2: go.
0: <laughs> Gray sweatpants uh, are
3: on. I'm happy.
0: Assume that position and enjoy. And we hope you guys have all enjoyed that very much over the Christmas period as well. What is Christmas for if it's not for overindulging? Hey, so, uh, uh, but before we get on to 2021, let's take a, a bit of a trip down memory lane and a quick look back at what we predicted for 2020 to see, really, I mean, if we have any credibility of predicting what's going to happen next year at all. So, uh, first up, so uh, my prediction was that challenger banks in the UK stop being a future threat and start becoming a present one. So, Customer numbers scale as does their range of offerings to make the likes of RBS Barclays HSBC finally admit that they're losing some customers and revenue due to the presence and performance of Monzo, Starling, Revolut and Tide. Um, so what do you reckon, guys? Did uh, How far off the money was I with this one? I mean, Starling started to make some profit, haven't they, in terms of uh, the, the the organization sort of p- clearly taking revenue away from the banks? But uh, how much of a, of a threat do you think the challenges really are to the to the big incumbents right now? Simon?
2: Yeah, like you weren't wrong. You were just early. Like it's it's coming. It's still coming. You know what I mean? Like the, the profitability is coming and everybody's pointing at the challenges right now going, when profitability? Well, you know, it's starting to come. But the impact has been a little bit different. What has, How much have banks had to spend in the last sort of uh, five years on digital transformation to get their mobile banking apps up? and? You know, the the pace of change of these challenges and their ability to ship new features. You mentioned Starling and Revolut. They've added business banking. Some of them are now starting to add um, savings and investments. That's happening really, really fast. If they can keep that pace of change up, then really they're only just getting started. They've arrived, and it's tempting to say, what about the profitability? But what about the speed they move at? And what about the f- change that they have forced the banks to be in um, and uh, forced them to do? I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch, David.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sam, what about from a US perspective? Obviously, you know, we're seeing Chime and Varo sort of hoover up customers, aren't we? So, I mean, are the big, are the big banks sort of paying attention yet? Or is it still a, uh,
3: we'll worry about it when they really hit our shores? Yeah, I think this prediction would have been really good if you changed one letter instead of K and put an S in there. You would have done a really good job, you know? And I know COVID had a big impact on this, but, you know, Chime's numbers have exploded. So have uh, currents. You know, borrowed money has been making a ton of noise. I don't know if it's that the big banks are scared. They're definitely paying attention. I will tell you the mid tiers and community banks are terrified. And when Ron Shevlin from Cornerstone Advisors writes a piece more or less praising Chime and Forbes, you know, we turned a corner, just flat out.
0: When, when Ron starts being positive about anything, I think at that stage we know we've turned a corner, don't we? But uh, uh, exactly, Sarah, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they—I think it's accurate insofar as that they—they they are a threat right now. Um, I think there's been a lot of kind of perhaps more negative press, um, some of it perhaps unfairly, about some of the the, the retail, the consumer banks. And um, Monzo in particular has had a bit of a rough year of it in the media. We've all had a rough year, um, but it feels like Monzo's, Monzo's been the target of things that perhaps were, were in some cases a little unfair. Um, I think, to Simon's point, it'll really be interesting to see what speed they can continue to innovate over the next year, because now the big banks have caught up. And um, what I'm most interested in seeing is the uh, developments in the small business space. Um, because the, you know, Starlink has a small business offering, but it's still largely sole traders. It's still largely sort of individuals um, or people with one or two, you know, one or two uh, employees. Um and small businesses are the lifeblood of the UK economy. They're the lifeblood of any economy, but but in the UK particularly, and they've really, really suffered um, over the last year. And I think you know they're they're really, really ready for somebody to come in to help them and provide a wide range of services. And uh, you know that needs to go beyond the sole traders uh, now. That needs to go into you know the the larger S's and into the M's even. And I think you know if if the challenger banks can get it right, there is a, an audience ready and waiting, particularly after the treatments and them have had at, at the hands of the big banks um, in the midst. Of, of the pandemic.
0: Mm, it's interesting as well, because obviously some of those small companies are growing up as well, aren't they? So uh, can those companies, can those organizations supporting them grow as they do as well? But I mean, I, I, I like uh, I like Simon's take on it. I wasn't wrong. I was just early. So uh, I'll take that and then uh, let's uh, let us move on. Uh, all right, Simon, your prediction. So wealth's robo becomes a much more key battleground in fintech in 2020. Um, Do you want to kind of bring this to life a little bit, Simon? Because um, I think there's some truth in this in terms of what we've seen.
2: Yeah, so I mean, it's been a massive year for Robinhood, or if you're in the UK, Free Trade, um, Moneybox, um, Acorns, uh, kind of even smaller things like Snoop and Copilot. The the savings and investments boom. Granted, a lot of it was driven by the pandemic and some segments of society having more deposits that they needed to start working with. There was also just like the boredom thesis. But this trend had started before the pandemic. It was already coming. Robinhood was already on their way. So I really do think that. This space um, has been massive, yes, accelerated by the pandemic, um, but it's only going to accelerate more, especially in the UK and the US, where interest rates are really, really low at the moment. So being in the deposits taking and lending business just doesn't look like a good outlook in the near future. There's not a lot of profit to be made from the traditional banking business model. That business model is broken. But the sort of savings and investment space has been a real bright, shining light in the last 12 months. And I do suspect it will take... Uh, some of the bigger banks a little longer to catch up but they'll all be working on their you know what's their play in this space what makes them stand out so i think we're going to see more of this trend uh, accelerating but i wonder a little bit about are there downsides to some of this rapid growth as well
0: yeah i mean it's it's interesting isn't it i mean we are uh, a lot of the the sort of early days of the sort of you know uh, day trader, you know uh, the sort of everyman day trader type uh, type scenario was really sort of spurred by people's uh, weaning themselves off potentially trading cryptocurrency. Right, you know we're we're currently sitting at a uh, we should record three different versions of this. Bitcoin is at an all time high. Bitcoin has crashed and everybody's got no money anymore bitcoins are right don't panic everybody um, Alex figure out which one of those one you want to, you want to go with um, but but I guess at this stage you know bitcoin's doing lots of things in uh, in terms of the, the the market going up and up and up so is do you think that's pushing more and more people to get back into that market again and which actually has a bizarrely a, a really positive impact on people going into you know um wealth management robo
2: management as a uh, as a more sane version of that people come for the crypto stay for the um, investments or stay for the savings and 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 Bitcoin has proven itself as a really interesting investment tool and engagement tool. Um, PayPal adding Bitcoin this year has been a really significant moment. And uh, that's meant that all of the new Bitcoins being minted are taken as soon as they're minted by miners on a daily basis, which is creating a supply and demand issue, which is why you see the price start to increase. As a result, you get a lot of consumers like, hey, I've heard about that thing. It's topical. But then if they get into the app and they are starting to build good savings and investments habits, great. But let's make sure they are good savings and investments habits in the process. I think, Sam, you wanted to jump in there.
3: Yeah, um, the Bitcoin price crashed because I actually spoke positive about Bitcoin on the breakfast brief and said it would hit, you know, 30 grand in 2021. So it was me, um, as usual. Um, and, and I think, Simon, you raised a good point, you know, the come for the Bitcoin, stay for the concept. Um, and another example of this, and it's, you know, big news in the U.S. was Square finalizing the tax savings component from credit care and building it into the cash app because it gets back to get in the app, stay sticky, offer great services. There you go. It's a great model. And it, you, banks used to do this,
2: right? They used to offer a current account and then cross-sell you lending. And you come for the current account, you stay for everything else. Now it's come for peer-to-peer payments, which is the loss leader, and we'll cross-sell you some. Come for the Bitcoin, and we'll cross you something else. So, the, to the to your earlier point, actually, David, about like the the challenger banks becoming a threat. Actually, the fintechs that aren't challenger banks are arguably a bigger threat right now. The PayPal's, the the Squares, and those kind of guys, and the Robinhoods and the Free Trades. So there's it's not just the challenger banks, and I think sometimes we get one-dimensional about it. Mm,
0: completely agree. Sarah, what do you think? Uh, uh, I mean, are you uh, an active day trader in your uh, limited spare time as well?
1: say, <laughs> what time do you think I have to be day trading? Um, no, I... I have expressed my skepticism about the, you know, the ease at which people can access these apps and and the pitfalls of them before. So I, I won't say it again. I think that there's nothing wrong with the popularity they're gaining. I think that you know the the, the free trades and robin hoods and you know the paypals if they're providing services that people want and need and they're getting those services into people's hands that's all for the all for the good but we ca- we can't just lose, we can't lose sight of the fact that just because they're doing something new and interesting and innovative that's people's monies and potentially people's lives they're handling and they really we really need to be clear um as an industry ideally but that's not going to happen um you know state by state country by country on on what's okay and what's not okay for people to do um because Day trading can very easily become gambling. It, you know, it gives you that dopamine kick. It does, and 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 that's scientifically proven. Um, you can also do it. You know, you also sorry, you also don't have to do day trading with these apps. There are also some very good long term uh, investment strategies you can implement using them. But we really, I think, we really need to make it clear to people who are going into these things what the difference between the two is, and really, we want. I'm sorry, I want to push everybody towards long term investment strategies and leave the day trading to maybe two or three people who have too much time on their hands and too much money to lose.
0: It is. I mean, it's a really true thing, I think, because the access point is uh, very, very similar. I know my, you know, every couple of days check in is like, uh, you know, what are my stocks doing uh, where is uh, where's everything in terms of in investments and what coins have I accumulated on FIFA in terms of selling things? So that association is not healthy for my brain. And, uh, and there's a lot of people who are probably in a very similar situation in terms of what they expect those things to come through on. So, uh, so I, I mean, I, I'd say, Simon, I think you called this one. I, I'd, I'd rank it as a, a, a good one on uh, prediction and probably one that's going to grow and grow further, further forward that we go as well. All right, Sarah, uh, your was a real innovation in areas outside of accounts and payments. So credit cards, mortgages, pensions, but especially insurance. I mean, there's a certain sort of uh, IPO that happens this year that probably backs up one of those points, doesn't it? But uh, how do you think you did?
1: I think I did all right um, on the insurance point. There's, you know, there's there's the lemonade IPO, but even more impressive, there's the root IPO. You know, three quarters of a billion dollars. Thank you very much. Um, you know, that's that, and I argue that's not innovation. That's people cashing in on innovation. Um, but I think it does go to show the belief in those services because when you look at their valuations compared to some of the the more popular fintechs, if you like, or the or the banking fintechs. They seem more rational. And I know there's still huge valuations, um, but they they do have a little bit. You know, these businesses are much more established. They have a much bigger customer bases. They're bringing in a lot more money. So I think in the U.S., the new insurance companies are are steaming ahead um, and the big guys are going, oh, my God, we've been left behind. Um, in Europe, I think that the big guys on the insurance side are catching up to a certain extent um and i think that's possibly because the startups haven't succeeded haven't got quite such a grip um on customers as perhaps they have in the us and i put that down to the um British certainly, but possibly also European obsession with using price comparison websites to buy insurance, and you know, innovation in insurance means nothing to you if you've got to pay more for it, and you've been programmed over ten years to just go for the cheapest one on on a comparison site. Um, but I think I think insurance is definitely getting there. I think um, mortgages is definitely getting there as well. We've seen some movements um, up and down the value chain from just not just distributing, so not just brokers, but to actually starting to underwrite um, mortgages. You know, Mojo and Habito here in the UK are, are doing a really good job at that. Um credit cards, I would admit, we haven't seen quite as much as I would have liked to have seen, although there are some things coming that I'm quite interested um, in, particularly um, the uh the the credit cards that are working to help people manage their spendings, their savings, their debt repayments. And we're gonna come on to this later. <laughs> I I am I'm leading up to something. But um but you know you look at SoFi's new credit card and, and you get, you know, the cash back you get isn't based on whether you buy at Starbucks or Macy's. It's based on you get three percent if you put it to pay back your loan. You get two percent if you put it into a savings account, you get one percent if you spend at Starbucks. And I think that's almost you know, more responsible credit card issuing. It's it needs innovation. It needs technology behind it to work that out. As to How it's going to happen, but um, that I think that's really good to see. I like that.
3: Mm,
0: and and obviously, I mean, we've seen the announcement around uh, pension bees going for IPO mm-hmm, very shortly. So, I mean, it, f- it, feels, like, it feels like I feels mean, I mean, I think you hit the hit the nail very much on the head, uh, Simon Sam. What do you think?
3: I know in the in the US, I'm, and I'm so glad. That Sarah mentioned Lemonade, because one of the things that really struck me, when I moved to the UK back in 2006, and I would stand at the till in the line at like a Tesco or an Asda, and you'd see all those pamphlets for pet insurance and travel insurance and automobile insurance, that never existed in the US. Now, suddenly this year, you know, Lemonade's announcing they're doing life insurance, you know, life insurance and pet insurance, pet insurance, you know. Uh, So again, UK, well done, leading the way. Um, great to see a disruptor like Lemonade do what they're doing. And I agree with Sarah. I think she she nailed it on the head for this one. Yeah, I'm going to come in behind it. Like uh, to the point in, in the
2: previous conversation about things that aren't challenger banks are probably the biggest thing happening in fintech. Like if you only focus on those, you miss 90% of the story. Uh, and actually, there's so much like the whole buy now pay later thing, whether you love it or you hate it, like there's there's something that's been massive this year. Uh, Chime's credit builder um, credit card, I think is a really watershed moment because the under 30s definitely see credit cards as being like cigarettes and just, you know, don't touch this stuff. And actually building a credit score is something that's useful to my life in the future. And I need to have some sort of credit line or facility to be able to do that. So the repositioning of that, I think, is really, really powerful. So yeah, this is this couldn't be more on the money. Um, everything but the 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 sort of current account is where the innovation is.
0: Very good. So, on that note, uh, Simon got it right. Sarah got it right. I was early and not wrong, just in case anybody (laughs) was thinking. Uh, But uh, we're going to take a quick break and listen to our sponsors, and we'll be back for the predictions for next year.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They are reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first-name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility, while your employees get cloud-based, core-connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. We're launching a brand new newsletter. ElevenFS Unfiltered is a fortnightly installment of hard-hitting opinions on all things financial services. Every fortnight, a brutally honest, no-holds barred take on a hand-picked topic from one of our experts will make its way to your inbox. To hear from some of the brightest minds, eleven of S and join the conversation, head to bit.ly forward slash unfiltered newsletter now.
0: All right, on with the show. So uh let's get into the this section then. So what do we what do you expect? to be happening next year. Uh Simon, do you wanna do you wanna kick us off? Let's uh let's see what you got for twenty twenty
2: one. Yeah, I think banks will have no choice but to go all in on digital. Um what really made me sit up and take notice was when Handelsbank and announced in their I think one of their quarterly reports during the pandemic that they were closing fifty percent of their branches. And like that's that's massive. Like we've seen branch closures before and it's always been the two, three, four percent. This is like not sort of having some vitamins and and sort of uh, hoping for the best. This is real like open heart surgery to the distribution model of banking. But also in order to do that, sorry, go ahead. I was ahead, gonna David. say I was gonna say,
0: particularly for handles banking, like handles banking strapline is local relationship banking. Yeah. Like
2: it's like it's just such a yeah, we're
0: changing our model. Like and, and that I completely agree with you, Simon.
2: This is just huge. And so you think about the, especially across the the like the regional banks in the US or the uh, community banks or some of the building societies in the UK, that sort of bank that has really made its name on relationships. Now you have uh, Apple Pay and Google Pay out there gaining wallet adoption in the US. You've got um, Square and um, Venmo uh, and Cash App really gaining user adoption, 70 million users for Cash App. And it's really a day-to-day banking app. Like what's your differentiator if the physical branch isn't it, and the relationship isn't it, how do you build a relationship and how do you get that data, and how do you really make sense of getting closer to your customer in this new world in which the day to day sort of transactional activity doesn't happen with your brand anymore and I think really they're facing into what are we going to be when we grow up what what are what is our strategy for that going to be so there's been a lot of resistance to you know scary things like core transformation. I think now it's time to bite the bullet and we probably won't see big core transformation announcements but we will see a lot of closures and people starting to get a lot more creative about where's growth going to come from in a low interest rate environment where you're you've got less brand touch points with your customer.
0: I think we've uh, I mean we've said this a few times before is this like empire strikes back vibe it's like you know the uh, they really sort of I mean the investment's been there right uh, so is, is it is it a different approach, Simon? Because I mean, big banks have been spending crazy amounts of money for, a, for a, like as long as I can remember. So, uh, is it just the way in which that they're going to be going all in on this is is different? So, because because I, I guess anybody can spend a huge amount of money and not achieve the right thing, can't they?
2: Well, I really hope so. There was a report by PwC, I think, in the middle of this year that said um across a lot all of the top hundred global banks or something like that, or the top thousand, I can't remember exactly how many it was, about one point one trillion dollars has been spent on digital transformation, of which about nine hundred billion has been quote unquote Wasted. So if you wasted nearly 85% of your investment, would you keep doing what you were doing or would you find a different way of doing it? It's the old, it's not what you do, it's the way you do it. And I hope that, I don't think that realization will land for everybody. I do think a lot of people will keep trying to do transformation the way they have, but just a lot, lot faster by pushing it harder. But there will be, I think, some that look at what um, Marcus by Goldman was able to achieve by doing things in a different way, that'll look at metal, that will look at mocks, that will look at the people that are doing more than experiments but really doubling down on what their future is going to look like um, and maybe take some some inspiration from that. Or at least that's what I hope for. Um, if I can make a wish for next year, it's that.
0: Exactly. Well, throw your penny in the well. Uh, Sam, Sarah, what do you think to that? Do you, what do you, I mean, nail your, uh, your your colors to the wall here because uh, this is evidence. We'll be coming back on this in uh, uh, the end of 2021 to see what we're doing. So uh, do, you, do you back Simon up on this one?
1: well i I think we have to, because this pandemic ain't going nowhere, which means I am not going to my local branch of anything anytime soon um i don't I don't think anybody I don't think they have a choice uh, you know they have to keep serving their customers you know this pandemic is we're recording this in November we're rec- recording on thanksgiving um we are fully you know the u k has just gone into God knows whatever crazy system we're in now, but it's worse you know we're more locked down we're more we're tighter and we've got less freedom that's going to continue for months and months, guys. And then when we get a vaccine and it starts to ease, something else will happen because because that is the way the world works at the moment. And that's what's happened. We've done this to the world. It's our fault. More pandemics are coming. You know, more climate change is going to cause problems. The, the banks have to move away from the old way of doing things and catch up with modern life. Um, and right now, modern life has just sped up exponentially. Um, they can't, you know, go all the way down to phoning every customer, although a UK bank building society, and it is a bank, Halifax here in the UK has been banging on about how they've called every customer during COVID. And I still can't work out how they possibly managed to do that. Um, But they've got an ad out at the moment that says we have phoned every customer. That's not sustainable. That's not going to keep you going. So they have to find other ways to do it. And yes, they do need to keep those phone calls going to the vulnerable, but they also have to find a better way to serve people like us. And that means going in all in digital, or they just will simply fail. I mean, (laughs) they, they, they can't hope to be able to reopen the branches on the 1st of January and have us all waltz in to pay in our checks that our grandmas have sent us over Christmas. Maybe maybe nobody else has a grandma that does that, but like we have grandmas that do that.
0: I'll be honest, Sarah. I hope you haven't led with some of that in your Christmas cards this year, because uh, you're gonna like Auntie Susie. You're gonna be terrifying. All right, right there, right there. <laughs> Give us some hope, okay? This is gonna get better.
1: <laughs> my mum, my mum lives in Wales, where they have no lockdown or tears, and she's they're going pandemic. What pandemic? We don't have one of those.
0: Fair enough. I mean, a very similar Norfolk vibe as well. But uh, uh, Sam, Sam, what do you think? Uh, how's uh, Simon faring on this prediction then?
3: Yeah, I think it's it's dead on. I mean, you know, we could have made that prediction year after year and just watch folks not pay attention. You know, those that did, especially in the US, um, and focused on on digital and and truly digital, as Jason Bates would say, um, they did well. You look at Walmart, you look at Home Depot and Lowe's, um, you know, the the sheer volume of revenue they made this year because they could they could actually serve as customers throughout COVID you know, in a, in, you know, in a shutdown environment, you know, and the large banks over here, you know, at at different levels have addressed this, where it's harder is if you're a mid-tier or smaller bank. So I like moves like we talked about on, um, you know, the the show yesterday on, on LinkedIn for 11FS, where we had Plaid and Jack Henry talking about the partnership they've done with Plaid Exchange, you know, so now you've got a solution provider really putting in a a, a, a truly digital API driven solution and opening that up for 300 plus banks that in reality would have struggled to get something like that done. So yeah, I think this is a, I don't want to say a no brainer, but it's a very, it, it's, it's a good prediction. This is one that has to happen. If
2: I may offer some hope, I do think that the um, the realization that, oh my goodness, we have to do this is the first step it's like hey we got a real problem here it's not because it it was kind of that one percent a year where you could kind of ignore it and then when it moves 10 percent in a single year you're like whoa okay now we've really got to pay attention and watching different organizations react to that is going to be really good as you say sam like if if for the mega banks for the really big banks like if if the world was water world with kevin costner they'd find the high ground they're kind of going to be fine it's it's everybody else that can't spend their way out of out of the costs and you know credit to a lot of the banks and what they've achieved this year but they're going to have to double that up and and doing things in new ways is going to be the key you did a water world reference oh my god really 1991 great movie I mean, all of that money
0: spent on Waterworld suddenly pays off in a uh, fintech podcast, uh, like, uh, you know, 20 odd years later, you know, brilliant. All right. Uh, I mean, I think you're on you're on decent grounds there, Simon. So uh, uh, let's see what Futurize makes of that in uh, a year's time. Uh, Sarah, what's your uh, prediction then for 2021?
1: So it, it is. It is quite hopeful. This one, I promise you. Um, so I think that one of the chaos um, has really opened up, or, or widened, or made more obvious, if you like, the gap in the market for tailored financial advice that really takes into account customers' like holistic financial situations and provides more tailored recommendations. Um, so th- this is kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier with you know the Sofi credit card and looking at somebody's you know. Entire financial position, it might be the best thing for you to save or it might be the best thing for you to do to pay back debt or it might be the best thing for you to do to just accrue some money and spend it because that happens to be the position you're in um, and I think that you know that the chaos of this year will will really um bring home the, the the problems people have with managing their finances, particularly as sort of the, the general uncertainty, you know, is surrounding them, um, they need help. So giving me a proposition that gives me great cash back is fine. Giving me a proposition that lets me save a lot is fine. Giving me an account that actively manages my money is fine. But I need all those things together. Because otherwise, I don't know what the best thing to do is. I think the debt piece is particularly important. You know, we get here a lot about how we should all be saving more. You know, perhaps you should be diversifying and put some in investments. Actually, if you don't have very much money and you have a huge amount of debt, you're better off paying off that debt in some cases. Now, I'm not qualified to give that advice. And that's part of the problem with, with these kind of solutions that people have had ideas before. But you're in the UK, at least – tiptoeing into advice territory which puts you into a different regulatory bracket than just offering those individual services. But I I agree that that makes it difficult. But I also think in the UK, we have one of the most understanding regulators in the world and they reward companies that genuinely want to help people and genuinely want to help their customers. So I think companies, um, you know, financial brands, whether they're big or small, shouldn't be afraid of that. They should embrace it. They should see the opportunity that's there. You know, it will help their customers. And if their customers are better off financially, the bank will make more money. So, you know, there is a good business sense here as well. Um, And go and talk to regulators and say, look, we want to do this. We want to help. People, we know it's a problem. Um, and I, I really think it's going to become more pressing. And I think the regulator will also possibly be exerting some pressure as well back on financial providers and saying, Look, what are you doing to look after your poor, really stressed, financially distressed customers right now? You know, they may have lost jobs, they may have lost loved ones, they may have lost breadwinners. They need help. So you, you've got to help them. You know, their businesses have been closed for three months, whatever. Use it as an opportunity. Let's let's take some inspiration here, guys. There's there's opportunity let's go away and think about how we um, meet it and capture the opportunity creatively.
0: It's a, it's an interesting sort of almost problem with the unbundling of, of financial services, isn't it? Because if everything is provided as a slice by a different provider, then nobody really has a holistic view, as you say, Sarah, of, of anybody's financial well-being. It used to be like, an A4 sheet and a branch where somebody scribbled all the stuff that you had. And then you had all of your accounts with one organization, didn't you? But actually now that most people have you know, two or three different providers with different things. And as you said, with insurance earlier on, we've been conditioned not to have all our eggs in one basket from a, a risk perspective. Then it is a it is a really interesting thing. And as you, as you say, it's something that you know, we know the the regulator has really struggled with for a while in terms of how people can do that. I mean, do you think there's an angle here as as open banking gets uh, better and better and better that this really feels like an opportunity for, for it to really help as well?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. I think the technology is there now. We have we have the technology. Yes, it's not probably as as tested as it needs to be. Yes, there are still some kinks to be worked out. But I think the concept of open finance is moving beyond the conceptual um, and into and into the real, you know, into the real world. And what the, the joy of you know the open finance concept, if you like, does is that it enables me to have the best financial products from the best financial provider for me. So, yes, I have my mortgage from one company, my credit card from another, my current account from a third. But for that not to be a problem, to create that holistic picture. Um, so I think the technology is there. I think, yes, it will be a bold and a brave company that does it first and puts their you know their neck on the line with it. But there are companies out there already claiming that they will have a good bash at this. And I think we need to, to see more people step up to the mark and and, you know, see what's out there, see what they can use and and try and solve a big problem.
2: Sounds good. Uh, Simon, Sam, what do you think? So, The wealth business uh, always you know, sort of had this, didn't it? Once you made a certain amount of money, you got that personalized tailored advice or you had independent financial advisors and then there's a lot of regulation about how they do. But in the digital age, that's not really working. It's not succeeding for customers. And David, as you say, as it gets more unbundled, it gets harder and harder to to see all of that. So aggregating the data is one step. But who's that person that's going to make me feel like it's okay that I can ask my stupid questions to that don't appear in the FA Like that empathy side is really, really important. And banks, I think, know this, but also that empathy thing doesn't scale well because I need lots of well-paid wealth managers who understand all of the financial products and then can recommend them for me. The hero for me here is is comes from an unlikely place. Um you may be familiar with companies like Stitch Fix and what they do is they offer you personalized sort of advice for what uh, clothes you should wear and you just like subscribe to them and you get your own little like uh, fashion advisor who will suggest some stuff for you based on your height your weight and whatever else. But ultimately if you look behind the scenes of how they did it the answers are more or less the same based on some inputs. And what they did is they doubled down on hiring people who were really good at empathy and productized like the product selection piece and turned that into machine learning and selection. And then they built a whole like Walmart-style distribution business behind the back, back end of it. Like the, the innovation here might not be uh, as obvious as it seems on just the data aggregation. It's, it's the business model and, and looking a little further afield for it. So that opportunity is there, and I think it's hugely exciting. And again, if deposits and lending isn't working as well, what's that thing that you do to build the personalized P&L and really stand out in a customer's life and build that relationship with them? That could be a space that you could really play.
3: And I'm so glad that Simon used my favorite word, empathy. I mean, that is a a core value that I know at 11FS we embrace. And personally, it's just the older I get, the more I understand how important of a word that is. And and I'll give you an example of this and how it ties back to what we're talking about here. So right after this show, I'm doing a spotlight show for 11FS where you can all turn in and go to YouTube and see these. Um, But it's Billy Simmons. She's a co-founder and chief of staff at Daylight. Now, if you're not familiar with Daylight, it's the first LGBTQ a digital banking platform in the US. How's that for a concept? But what I like about it, besides doing all the normal stuff a neobank does, you know, card programs and control spending and all that, here's the part I like, Sarah, especially what you were talking about. They grant its members access to a network of financial coaches specializing in the needs of the LGBTQ community that they specifically face. We're talking about empathy, advice. That's very niche, right? And very narrow, but we're seeing more and more of that kind of creep up in a good way in the U.S. with banks like Greenwood Bank, you know, um, that we're seeing here. And, you know, COVID and the social um, problems that we have in the U.S. are driving a lot of this. And I think this is actually a really positive outcome over here. Hmm. I think, Simon, I think you will
0: say, you know, the numbers are in the niches, right? Actually, the people really, and, and maybe this is sort of a sign of the times to a certain degree. We've had pretty generic service for such a long period of time people will people value and they will pay for service that is very much tailored to them so uh but um uh, I, I thought i'd noticed simon you've been a little bit more tailored and wearing a little bit more uh uh nice outfits lately so uh is that stitch fix thing working out pretty well <laughs> simon yeah, no, tailored
2: simon yeah. tailored. i <laughs> yeah, love no. it I can honestly say I've case studied it, but no, I, I don't use that as you can probably tell by how horrifically dressed and Crawford I am throughout this pandemic. But thank you for noticing, David. I appreciate you. You're very <laughs> welcome. So I think I think you're
0: on decent grounds there, Sarah. I think that that sounds like a good prediction. Let's uh, come back again in a year and uh, and and see where we are. I know, uh, like you say, many regulators and many customers that would be very happy if this one comes true. So uh, fingers crossed. All right, uh, and and I think mine mine very much sort of. Builds on on Sarah's really. Um, I really think, and I'll, if I Sam, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go next as uh, continuity sort of makes sense in terms of uh, uh, building upon Sarah's. But I mean, I think as we always say, uh, the future is already here; it's just not evenly distributed. And I, and I think actually that's what we're very much going to see in the future of the retail banking space. I really believe in this concept of autonomous financial services and and really where that gets us to i think the the wealth type experiences and sort of building on on top of what sarah was saying really in terms of people really having a fully holistic view of what your financial services actually is but the bit that i think is is sort of missing and the bit that i hope and i think we're seeing green shoots of with some of the players that are sort of coming to the market um is people just can't be bothered with this stuff like to your point simon with the 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 uh, the, you know, the, um, uh, tailored service to your, to your door is people don't want to have to think about this stuff. They buy into a service to let other people make those decisions for them. Um, and I think the difficulty that we've got with financial services is most of the business cases are predicated on catching someone out. Um, as in you've gone into your overdraft, you forgot your savings rate is expired. You forgot that this, you know, this thing has changed to this. Um, and that's the problem with financial services. Really what people want is to buy into a service that makes you better off, not tries to catch you out. Um, so that's where I think we're going to get to. I think we'll, we'll start to see that rebundling of all of these different slices of these services and essentially layers on top of this capability that really for me is charged with one single objective, which is to make my money do better for me than me as an amateur of, of financial services could possibly ever do. Uh, it might. I might be early. I'm not saying that this one's gonna. Uh, this one's gonna transform the market. But I definitely think we're going to start seeing propositions come to market, and particularly with the advancements that we're starting to see in terms of where open banking is going, with the sweeps capability, with the uh, you know the the pay, additional payments capability. I really think this has got some legs. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah. I mean, in short, this to me is is the theme for the next five years of where you start to add value uh, is beyond aggregation, is, is is automation. I think I think it was the guys, is it Wealthfront now or is it Betterment, I always get those two mixed up that coined the term self-driving money and self-driving money worked if you used their app. So you have this level of autonomy like um, and there's a number of apps like Plum and a few others that will st- uh, Monzo does it like they'll do nice sweeps, they'll do clever things. But so long as you're using their app and the 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 value sort of sits in their app. As you said David, you said something really interesting. That layer above the banking app is going to get much more interesting because if there are APIs that let me move money, if account to account payments is coming or similar uh, situations like uh, products like dweller in the u.s really allow you to move money and just set rules about what happens i can set and forget i can start to trust this software more and more to just do awesome stuff for me so that i don't have to think about it that gets that's a way that your brand can really start to add value what i worry about is the banks won't do that. They'll try and catch up with where the challenges were last year, rather than trying to skate ahead of where that is um, and start to think about how do you move up into that space of adding more value? How do you get closer to the customer a little bit? So this um, this one feels really, really strong. I just I just wonder about the trust side of it. You're know, are you going to be developing a new brand. Are you going to trust these apps to move your money for you? Um, who's the early adopters going to be? We don't know.
0: I think I think that's a really interesting point because do the do customers trust banks to provide this type of service? Because I mean we've all seen this in the nineties, right? You had a, a credit card decision tree, and all of the answers to it was buy a credit card. Uh, you know, actually, do you uh, do you trust that organisation really to give you? Impartial advice that is on the benefit of you versus the impart, you know, the advice that they would give you on the benefit of them. But uh, um, I do, I honestly do think it's an interesting point about the the challenges as well, because I mean, arguably all of the challenger banks, you know, Chime, Varro, you know, N twenty six, Revolut, like they all look very much like banks right now. But the thing that we're really sort of missing, and the thing that actually, when you've got technology that can really enable you to, you know, make these products all work together um this enables you to to take that extra step i I think this is the the evolutionary step that we're uh we're missing essentially but uh what do you think sarah
1: um i i think that you are heading in the right direction. I think you may be early because I think it is the next step after mine. Does that make sense like I think that it i, I like i th- i think that's where we're going I don't know whether we'll get there next year um so I I I completely agree that I think it is the way to go. Um, you know, we have to we have to find a way, as we said, to sort of help people out holistically. And yeah, um if I if if you know, if I if I guess the question is, why would you trust a financial advisor? Why do you trust a man or a woman in a suit? Is it because they've got a certificate? Is it because they show you how much money they've made their previous clients? Is it because your mum used them? I want to know that I think that that's the really key thing to, to Simon's point is how do these how do to banks or brands, digital brands, build that level of trust to enable them to actually start doing it because the more they do it, the better they'll get at it. But then again you've got to have those early adopters who are A willing for it to be a bit bleh to start with, without it being well, I couldn't think of a word. Sorry, Sam. Um, to, to, to start with, but before before they get it absolutely right, <laughs> um, so I think uh, I think it's going to take time, basically. Um, and I don't know how the trust problem can be solved. I would really like to know how the trust problem can be solved. Other than the the only obvious answer I've got for that is proof that it works. You know, they can they can prove that it works, and I don't know how you prove it works without customers. I don't know how you get this first customer to the door? <laughs> well, it's
0: well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've seen this in the automotive industry, haven't we? We've seen, you know, assisted braking was the mm. emergence of automated vehicles, and then you know, your car was parking itself, and now Teslas are driving themselves. You know, like so. So, I, I think yeah. it's, um, you know, the the emergence of algorithms doing better what any individual would able be able to do with a. An inc- infinitely complex data set and much more, you know, lateral information as well in terms of what the market and what individuals are doing. Um, it's a it, it will take us in a very different direction, a very and and leave us in a very different place, right? Because at that stage, then really everybody's wealth is being maximized, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. I, I, I see exactly your point. The analogy doesn't quite work for me because I don't trust my car to do any of those things. It can't even turn the headlights on when it's dark. It's supposed to have auto headlights, but they don't come on.
2: So it sounds like you need a better car. <laughs> uh,
1: Well, I'm not sure that's true, Simon.
2: Jeff, <laughs> maybe, maybe you got
1: My point is that the technology is still quite early. So yeah. You know. Yeah,
0: I mean the the algorithms are, uh, are always uh, you know uh, have have questionable nature to them in in some of yeah. them, don't they? But but, uh,
1: but we'll get there. I'm hopeful. I think it's the right direction, and I think technology is there, and I think it, you know it will just take a bit of working out. But all these things always do.
3: What do you think, Sam? Um, I love how <clears throat> Sarah went down the route of stepping stones. Right, one, one of these building on another and another. Because I agree with her. I think this is what's coming. I think it's something that's desperately needed. And I also love that both Simon and Sarah flagged that concept of trust. Because you think of what's happening in the U.S., um, you know, with Google's announcement of the, all the advances they've done in Google Play and this new Plex um, product that they're putting out there. City is launching, you know, their checking and savings account with City Plex. So um, when you say the word trust in Google, yeah, I don't know that the two really go together that well. Um, so this will be fascinating to see how this takes off. But yet... With what Google's done, they're opening us up really to the masses, right? This is similar to what we talked about with Plaid and Jack Henry, offering technology solutions that can go out there and allow some of these smaller players to take advantage of it. Um, I, I'll get back to the proof is going to be in the numbers, right? Um, we talked about this when Chase launched Finn. That's great. How successful is it going to be? And we saw, right? That, that was it for people that are, you know, under a rock. Finn did not work
0: but but, <laughs> but arguably it. like like you said though i mean without finn i mean they're they're currently developing something in the uk there's you know other developments happening in in other places so you know stepping stones to success right uh, evolution uh, yeah evolution So evolution indeed um well and the thing about evolution is uh stuff dies in the way doesn't it so uh uh R.I.P. hey. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's come back in a year and uh, and see what uh, what happens then. If uh, if I'm early again, look, I don't I don't mind being you know wrong. You can say that I'm wrong, but um, but I do prefer being early. That's absolutely fine. I
1: don't think you're um, wrong, right. David. I, I think you're, you're no an eternal optimist. Exactly.
0: I know we're going to get there. Like I believe in the industry. It's just um, we're just standing at the finishing line, ushering people our way, aren't we? Um, so. Sam, last but no means least, what what do you think? What are we going to
3: see next year? Uh, I'm going to give a U.S. twist on this, and I think we're going to see more bank M&A at scale. Um, Obviously, we've just had the news of PNC and BBVA, um, which, by the way, will make PNC the fifth largest bank in the U.S. by asset size, which is a big deal. That top 10 is tough over here. Um, So I'm looking at banks like Regions, like U.S. Bank, uh, Citizens, M&T, all examples of possible M&A targets. You know, we had Truist. Oh, God, what an awful name. We've had the SunTrust bb and merger and acquisition last year. Um, you know, we got PNC BBVA US this year. Um, I will say this. There's a lot of consultants at Deloitte, Accenture, EY high-fiving each other because they just now landed contracts that will last for five years as they do this integration. So for the consulting space, hey, this is good. Um, for the consumers, I think you know, seeing a in, an acquisition, maybe something like U.S. Bank and and Regions, gets interesting because now you get a footprint, you know, across the U.S., which you know that's what PNC did. Flat out, they just they just got into it. every market, more or less, in the U.S. It was a massive chomp move.
0: I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, as you say, for, from a, a market perspective or from an organizational perspective, suddenly being the, you know, fifth biggest bank in the U- U.S. Is, is huge, isn't it? But does it paralyze that organization while they're figuring out, you know, whose version of what they're keeping and what one of it they're getting rid of. And, you know, are they really realizing those benefits in terms of cost efficiencies and changes? Uh, you know, I've seen I've seen that dance a few times at uh, organizations. And uh, and almost they, if you take your eye off the customer and the competing for the customer, you potentially can undo all of the work that either of those organizations really did. So I guess the other part on that as well is is like, do, do you think we're going to see a run on community banks? Uh, right. I don't mean like people taking their balances. I mean like somebody with a good amount of money just hoovering those things up, like in state on state
3: on state. Sounds like an amazing opportunity. It's been happening, right? Um, and it's it's funny because it doesn't make the news cycles, except for local, like you know something like you know PNC and BBVA US does. That those acquisitions have been happening over and over and over again in the mergers, and they have to do it to stay alive. But then you've seen you know other plays like Radius Bank getting acquired by a Lending Club you know, as a as a way to get into the, the space and get a charter and kind of bypass that route. So, yes, that that's going to continue to happen. We're even seeing it in, in little weird ways for the us, which is a credit union acquiring a community bank, which starts to make your head hurt because now you're kind of blending Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings together. <laughs> they kind of fit, but they don't. And it's kind of weird. And how do they pull that off? But, yeah, that's that's been going on. And, yeah, you're definitely going to continue to see that.
0: It's going to be fascinating as well whether we see, I mean, I can really, really see this. It would be fascinating to see anybody with a gigantic balance sheet right now must be eyeing one of those companies. Uh, I mean, like, you know, if you're a gigantic tech firm, if you're a, you know, a, a car manufacturer with lots and lots of capital, like, you know, banking looks quite cheap a market to get into when you can pick up an organization with all of the, you know, regulatory burden already and processes in place, right?
3: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's going to be interesting, especially now that if you all didn't know it, um, Joseph Biden Jr. did win the election. Evidently, you know, we're finally learning that as it's almost uh, December, I, I feel,
0: I feel like similar to the Bitcoin thing, Sam, I think you should cut
3: three oh, should versions that. of that. Oh, Trump it. is still in the white house. Yeah. Trump has left the
0: way, like there's gotta be, you know, barricaded in the white house, probably version there as well.
3: But what I do find interesting about that though, when you start looking at his cabinet picks and who he's been talking about, you know, head of the treasury, he's talking Janet Yellen, you know, that, that provides market stability that if I'm in the financial services, I'm, I'm smiling because you know and we, and we proved that i mean you know the market topped 30,000 you know the dow topped 30,000 on friday and i remember the president trump quote of if biden's elected the stock market will crash um we, we like stability we also like a divided government by the way so we like the senate being republican and the house being uh, democrat we're so dysfunctional i swear to god <laughs> i'm moving to canada
0: i just long for a i long for a period of stability like uh I miss that, don't you? Like just a just an hour train trip to to work, like you know, like that feels like such a such a long time ago. But Sarah, what do you what do you think? Do you reckon uh, Sam's on the money?
1: Oh, I was just musing about the fact that Belgium got rid of their government for eighteen months and nothing went wrong, and I was just thinking, there's a there's a there's a thought there. We could we could work on that. Um, yeah, I think I think Sam's absolutely right. I don't know I don't know much about as much about the U.S. market as he does, but I think um, as banks do what Simon says they're going to do and go all digital, they will have to divest themselves of some of what they see as dead weight. Um, So some units of things um, and then decide what they're going to do instead. So it's it's kind of becomes like a trading game. It's like okay, I, if I get rid of this, then I can have that, and that makes me bigger at this. It's almost like a card game, you know? Are going for for three four of a kind or a run? And then you kind of got to decide what you're going to divest off to come back and, and and win the game with. So what what's the bank going to go for? Is it going to go for investments? Is it going to go for current accounts? Is it going to go for the you know the investment market? What, where's it going? I think the only possible exception to that is Goldman, which has decided to do the opposite and go everywhere. Um, but uh, but but for the, the other banks that haven't had quite as success as Goldman in recent years um, and that haven't perhaps got their strategy straight, they're going to have to think about what they want to focus on because I just don't think it's possible for them to do everything. And as they do that, they'll start selling things and other banks will go, oh, we'll have that bit. Thank you very much. And so it may not be entire banks and entire companies that are acquired, but large chunks of, of, of businesses I can see being sold um but yeah, it's 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 not just the it's just not just the whole organization, it's it's parts of organizations. Um and we've seen a, a tiny snippet of that with the, the Wirecard fire sale. Obviously that was slightly different circumstances, but they broke up into pieces and banks literally jumped at the chance to acquire bits of it. And I think I think you know, that's another sort of element to this um a at scale, because even if you're only buying a, a bit of Santander, it's still quite big compared to, you know, a, a twenty company fintech or whatever.
0: Mm. It's interesting some of those international companies retreating as well, isn't it? You know, BBVA, Santander, you know, organizations there, almost a little bit more sort of local consolidation of a market, Simon, kind of establishes really, really strong competitors in that space, doesn't it?
2: It does. And and I look at, especially if you are across a lot of Spanish-speaking markets and headquartered in Spain, but looking at LATAM, you're seeing real growth markets that are easier to do the banking business model in. The interest rates are completely different across a lot of LATAM, and it's a much better place to be making money with digital banking offerings. Uh, NewBank has done extremely well, and everybody points to them. But across the entire region, we're really seeing a, a, a fintech explosion. So where would you double down? Would you double down on the markets that are harder where you're smaller, or would you you go to the ones that that seem a lot of showing a lot of growth, and and it's um it's so interesting, especially for BBVA that's um, tried to differentiate so much on being more on the tech company side to really pull away from that and focus on being a bank. And it's kind of interesting that um, the the PNC piece, like one thing you can say about them is they're very good at being a bank. JP Morgan is very good at being a bank, and they're playing a scale game, and like that's a good business model just keep, get more scale keep piling up the mE don't lose the customer in the process but it kind of works it's it's not necessarily pretty but it's really really effective so this is the high ground thing where'll they'll, they'll sort of retreat to the high ground through massive mE M&A. but then what you get is that they leave space in the market whilst they're doing that and that's where square cash app comes in it's where venmo comes in it's where current and chime and others come in and take up all of that space and an opportunity that's left left behind in in a lot of these markets that are low interest rate and when the big banks are focusing on being banks which is probably good for them in the short term um and becoming more regional rather than global i think that's going to be a a dynamic that is going to be interesting to watch
0: I think I remember last time um, me and you, Sam, talking about this, we were like, yeah, and then they get big enough so nobody can buy them like plaid. And then I think two weeks later, Visa were like, yeah, we're going to buy plaid. So so I guess, look, there are always bigger boys out there with uh, deeper pockets, aren't they, in these things. And I mean, it's interesting your point, Sarah, with uh, somebody like Goldman. They've they've almost got uh, so much money they can be wrong in so many places and be right in two, and then it, the two take over everything, don't they? So, uh, And really, I mean, that is... If anything, ladies and gentlemen, the learning from this is uh, put out four predictions, and one of them might be right next year. Uh, spread betting—we very much advise it. Eleven Fs.
1: If, if we're all if we're all a quarter right, then we'll have got one whole one right, and that would be that would be a nice win, I think.
0: Well, I mean, as we say, success is a team sport, right? So uh, if Sarah's right next year, or Simon's right, or Sam's right. Uh, by proxy that makes me right and and i'm okay with that as well so uh, and
2: you can still just be early if you want that's fine being early is still good my favorite was mark andreessen at a16z often often uses that one venture capitalists aren't often wrong they're just early a lot um and sometimes being early um is, is not dissimilar but then also if it turns out to be right later you get you were the first into it you know you were the first to predict it exactly say
0: a lot of stuff at one point, one of them is going to be right, I guess. But uh, all right, guys. Well, I, I mean, I, I think you've all got pretty solid predictions for, for 2021. Uh, I guess only time will tell, though, in terms of uh, what comes back of this one. So uh, let's see how everything sort of shapes out uh, for, for 2021. I hope it's a much better than 2020. I have to say the year has been a bit of a weird one, hasn't it, everybody? But uh, that wraps up our prediction show for 2021. Anyway, thank you so much to our guests. Where can people find out a little bit more about you, Sarah.
1: My well, guest. guess now. That's nice. Back to the olden days. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky.
2: Uh, simon. At Taylor on Twitter or email me simon at 11FS.com.
3: Sam. Uh, sam Mall on Twitter and uh, sam at 11FS.com.
0: And as for me, you can find me over on LinkedIn. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you have liked what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast, and don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps us make the show better every week. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider, or you can just email us at podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a great
3: year. Goodbye.